Hi everybody and welcome back to In The Weeds podcast. My name's Matty Farrell. This week I wanted to kind of try and go around the world a little bit as we kind of the world sort of opens up. It kind of gets the, the senses starting to think about places we've been and places we want to go and just you know where people are in different parts of the world um, really got me thinking. So I wanted to go and speak to a couple of industry professionals and see how their life's been affected and where they're up to and just talk about the culture of different places. Um, and we're going to start in a beautiful city of Stockholm. Thanks, guys. Please enjoy the episode. And as always, feedback is welcome. Stay safe. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to In The Weeds podcast. And I wanted the series to kind of look around the world a little bit and see, just check in with some people and see what's going on. I'm delighted to have Daniel Heffy, the head chef of Adam and Alvin restaurants in Stockholm. How are you, man? Good to be here. Yeah, I'm good. You? Yeah, good. I think we were just saying briefly, slow but yeah. we're good yeah. well, thanks for joining obviously coming you know ahead it's wednesday morning so it's about 10 30 for you i noticed that we were saying that you just you're in work already just for the listeners just tell a little bit about yourself and obviously a great restaurant you work in and and how you've kind of ended up there i end up out here in stockholm if i if i go back to the beginning like you say started off 16 year old working in kitchen in a pool work for paul askew in the london carriage works Moved from there with Paul over to the art school and then just had this burning desire to do something for myself. Set up the Secret Dining Club and and yeah, and then off the back of the Secret Dining Club, we got offered the opportunity then to open Buyers Club. I was 20 years old, I think, when we started that. And yeah, it was, a, it was for me at the time, it was a big, big step. <laughs> I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Was there for just over 12 months or 18 months working with some key players you could say in Liverpool and, and it, it was a success it went well and then after that I just had this desire to go back and learn you know at Buyers Club I, I fell into this path of doing like the mundane things every day and having to run a business and I just didn't feel I was ready for it so I, I decided when I met my partner Alicia she's a designer so she wanted to, to go away Scandinavia was where she wanted to go and then we just ended up in Stockholm so that's how I ended up out here when I got here didn't have a job and then applied for France, which is now a three-star restaurant. Mm-hmm. It was actually getting built when I moved out here. So when I got to Stockholm, I had to just make ends meet, you know, working. I worked actually for Bjorn for the whole time, Bjorn Franzen, that being. And I worked for one of his like bistro style restaurants. I worked for his pop-up event that he had at the time, just before the restaurant opened. And then I ended up there. I was there for 18 months and then at least you got pregnant. So then the goal was, okay, I need to find a more family-friendly restaurant. And, and Adam and Alban, I went fell in love with the place and that's how I ended up here and to be honest with you when I started it was all about you know finding somewhere where I can have a balanced life but since being here just the the drive and, and the goals where the restaurant want to go I've ended up spending more time in this restaurant than I have in any other before <laughs> Yeah, that's how I end up here. I mean, it's a, it's a great journey. We'll come come on to Stockholm in, in a little bit. The Secret Diners Club, I thought, Buyers Club's a great venue as well. I think Buyers Club's great. I think for the Secret Diners Club, I was you know I was a massive fan of that. I thought that was really unique at the time. I think did you? What, yeah. Obviously, you had some funny stories. So elaborate a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I think we were ahead of our time to be honest. When I think back now and I look at the the journey from from when we started, you know, me and Michael just had an had an idea of bringing friends together first and we did it in his dad's pub his dad owned the, the railway pub you know on Eastleigh we just we just wanted to do it because 
you know, you, you, you've been in hospitality to yourself a long time. So when you work for other people, your creativity is very limited, isn't it? So you, you don't really get to express yourself so much. That was how it started. Yeah. It started as like a project to just have a little bit of fun, learn a little bit more about what we like to do. But then the fun side of it, you know, the bringing people together, people not knowing what they were eating, we were just allowed to do whatever we wanted. Just grew the idea and, and more and more forward. And then obviously, like I expressed before, I worked for Paul and we went to into an awards ceremony and I met Joe Winshaw and at the time Joe worked for a PR company and then Joe came on board and he was the one who really like helped us get it out there. You know what I mean? He loved the idea and he was like, look, we can do this all over the city. So that's where we're like, okay, let's give it a go. Let's, let's try and do different venues and different spaces. We did Metal Art Gallery. We did obviously abandoned warehouses. We did Alfresco out in the Gin Garden. But the 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 fun when I say about the funny story, the abandoned warehouse is the one that comes to my mind because uh, it was unbelievable. We had obviously one of your partners, Nick, oh, yeah. was there with us at the time, <laughs> and uh, we, we it was the first time we stepped out to like forty people, and we did eighty guests. We had a stove that was this big with a little hob on top of it, doing eighty people. I think we picked the hardest food we ever did. I'm sure we did duck breast, trying to cook it on a, on a stove like that. And I was just on my own in the back of the little room doing all the cooking and everyone else was outside plating. I was unbelievable. The fire alarm went off three times. The DJ was outside just trying to keep everybody happy. But that's what made it, to be honest with you. I don't think we got many complaints and I think that was why people were just so in awe of what we were doing at the time. Because it was, I think, ahead of its time. Yeah, no, it was great. I, it definitely, that was in, as an in, in the weeds moment early on for you there. Obviously, in, in hospitality, People are looking for those experiences, aren't they? And especially if they want to spend that amount of money, I think it's all all linked to like the aesthetic of it as well, isn't it? I think and and, and finding the the venue and the look and the Instagram, it all all probably ties in well. Yeah, so, well, that kind of come towards the end of it. You know, we did one in um, constellations when they had the light installation, hmm. and that's you realise. I think I, you, we just always start off small, don't you? And by the end, when you get to the last ones. The whole event became, it was hitting spots in, in every area, you know what I mean? Aesthetically, it was really good. We finally got the food and the service and the beverage. Towards the end, we got everything right. Yeah. So obviously then, you know, you've ended up in Stockholm. I mean, I love the Nordics. I, I think it's just a great place. I could I could even live there. I've lived there myself maybe when I was a little bit older, but depending on the family. But did you manage to go anywhere else on the way there? We spent time in, in Copenhagen, me and Alicia, been there a couple of times. And to be honest, when you say that the Nordics, obviously there's very big similarities amongst them, but they're also very different. You get to realise that when you spend a lot of time, we have some Danish friends and they're living here in Stockholm. The Danes and the Swedes are very, very different in that sense. But as far as spending a significant amount of time, no, only really here in, in Sweden, to be honest. Yeah, I've got, there's a, a friend of mine, he, well, they've got a place in uh, Copenhagen called the Bark and Dog, but one of the best tequila bars in, in, in Europe, but he's Swedish. And like, when you go, yeah. obviously he's in Copenhagen, he's like, man, he said, uh, you know, all, all they want to do in, in Denmark is give you a hug or like, you know, they, they don't offend anyone. It's always like, they're just so happy. It's like, and he said that he was explaining the different, how different Swedish people are from Danish you know what I mean like the, the culture yeah Swedes are different they keep themselves to themselves mm. 100% very different in, in, in that aspect yeah. and just more difficult to approach <laughs> really I can remember when we moved here actually we were told that if you get invited into a Swedes home it's like a big thing and for us it was like okay 
<laughs> like you know because me when I grew up my mum and dad's door was never closed for anyone you know what I mean yeah so it was it was a bit of a that was it, it was a bit of a shock first and it's it's still now it still is you know what I mean you still you still get surprised by certain people yeah well, well, yeah it's like the opposite of where, where I suppose where we're from it's completely different isn't it yeah that's my so you know one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you about was kind of the interest in, in kind of well Stockholm's a, a fantastic city but that's kind of Swedish like, I don't like really you know like don't really like talking about COVID a lot on it but there was a lot of talk about kind of the different approach Sweden took to the rest of the world you were there at the time what kind of how did that affect you or, or and was it different but it seems to look like to be honest for, for us I have a few, there's a few lads here from England and I work closely with a lad from France, Louis. And I think for us internationals, it was, was so strange because, you know, you're listening to the stories of everyone back home. And at the time, everything at home and everything you hear from everyone was so negative. And actually, I think the, the original approach here felt it didn't change anything at the beginning because I think they have this culture where, you know, or at least that's how it's perceived that the government say things and, and that people tend to listen. So at the beginning, I have to say, it didn't really change very much. They implemented some rules, you know, two metre distance between tables and stuff like this. But, you know, for example, last year at the beginning of this whole thing, I can remember when I was in the forest, we were out picking herbs and stuff. And I was with Adam, one of the owners, and we just discussed an idea and it, it kind of took me back to the Secret Dining Club days where I was like, we should do something outdoors in the summertime, something where the two metre distance doesn't affect us so much. And we ended up coming with a concept called Air last year and it was a huge success. Now we did 600 guests today. Oh, so wow. that just shows you the capability here at the beginning compared to the capabilities back home. But then as time's gone on, you know, as it stood the test of time, the decisions they made, I'm not too sure because now you're getting back up and running at home and actually here, you know, I haven't been in work probably since January. So it's hard, it's hard to say really because obviously we had a very easy at the beginning, but now there's a curfew, you know, you can't open the restaurants after eight o'clock. There's, there's still those rules of two metres in between a table. You're only allowed four guests at one table. So in a small restaurant like ours, it's a big, that's a, that's a problem. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, it's a big thing. So you live in, do you live in the heart of Stockholm? Yeah, we live in the city. We live in a place called Lilla Essinger. It was a little tiny island. Yeah. Little, very small. I know, I know it. I know it. Do we need like that? Yeah. yeah, I do. Well, we, we stayed there once. Is it Burns? Burns Hotel? Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. We stayed there and walked down to that island. It was about minus 10 or something like that. And we were like, oh, Jesus, man. Yeah, it's in the winter time. It's it's not it's not the best place to live in the winter because it's so small. It's windy, it's cold. But in the summer, you know, in the summertime, now with the baby, you just we can just walk down. There's parks all over. It's, it's obviously a little island surrounded by water. So you can just jump in the water of a night time. So last summer, we used to just walk down there and, and, and just take a swim and yeah. get back and go back up and have our tea so fantastic it's going to start now the water's still a little bit cold but that's okay that's alright yeah so obviously what what, are you, what do you like about the city what what have you found that is you know obviously there's differences but what, what have you really really took to I'm quite happy in my own company you know what I mean mm. and obviously we work so much so what, I think when we first moved out here we just fell in love with it because of the, the months of being here and, and it's Obviously, Stockholm. There's not a big building in sight. Yeah. It's just it, it's it's a very it's almost like a very romantic place to live in that sense. And you know, there's so many things about living here that are a benefit. 
in terms of now we've got the baby, the childcare, just that the way of life is unbelievable. You know, speaking of like what we do in the hospitality industry, if your daughter's sick at home and you call in sick, people don't care really, it tends to be at home because you're missing work and you need it. Whereas here, the culture is just, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. We'll solve it. So that's that's one big thing. The way of life, the approach to you, like the, yeah, it's, they're not warm, but actually when you get to know people, they are, if you know what I mean. Yeah, of course. And then for me, the big thing was, was Franca. It's, I think it really is one of the best, if not the best restaurants in the world. So when, whilst I was there, I was just in total awe of what I was doing. Probably to my, probably in a negative way, to be honest with you. In what because way? Because it kind of made myself feel like, do you deserve to be here? You know, because you're so in awe of something. So, so yeah, that's, and then being able to go down and have a swim during the summer. Yeah. Having the, the snow and, and, and that Christmassy feeling during the Christmas time. It, it, it's got so many of those, those pluses to it. It's not yeah. just wet and cold like home. <laughs> No, I mean it, it's a it's a beautiful place. If, if 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 anyone hasn't been it, it is a beautiful place to to go. It's very unique, isn't it? So unique like, is, it, is the word that yeah. I was probably looking for. Yeah, I think that that train actually you can get the train from Copenhagen like, uh, up there, and you kind of come through all the forests. So it's about it's about four yeah. or five hours, I think it was. It's a good way to kind of come in and see the see the city as well. Well, like we 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 went to uh, Gotland last year. Uh, for like our summer holiday because obviously we couldn't travel. It's just a small island off the coast of Sweden and it was unbelievable. If you come to Sweden again, I would, in the summertime, I would recommend anybody to go there. Um, Just a special place. Everything about it. And it was a shame really because in northern parts, there's a there's a big hotel. I forget the name of it to be honest now while we're on here, but it's it, it looks pretty special. And there's some top restaurants over there. So it's like but we didn't drive up because the weather was bad up north. So we didn't with it being this went there for the sun, so we didn't go that far up. But next time we'd definitely be giving it a go. But it was a special place. And it's like that all over. The small little villages you can drive for hours without seeing anything, just just forest and, and, and nature, you know. Yeah. And it, living in the city, you know, I can take a, I can take a fifteen minute train and I can be in 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 the outdoors, you know, properly. And to be in a major city and have that privilege, it feels like a, a nice privilege to have. You know what I mean? I think um, I found even like myself, and I see obviously a lot of people like through this experience getting back in with nature and rural sort of elements it is very I think it's so good for your mental health and the kind of especially like you say if you live in a major city and you can kind of go out and have that switch off remotely and especially if you don't mind your own company it's even better but yeah it's I think it's it's going to be more and more apparent I think and hopefully it's something yeah and I think that's another thing about being here to be honest you talk about the culture and the people I think everybody is very in touch with with that element of it, you know, the the getting away from the city life and going into the nature. And when I, I don't, I mean, it was a while since I've been, but Stockholm's food scene is pretty renowned. When I, I mean, I had one of the best meals I've had. It's definitely in my top ten anyway. At a place called ugh, no, Voice, you have to tell me if I'm saying it right, but Exted. Exted. Yeah. yeah, I thought that yeah. was that was brilliant. But the food seems to come a long way. What 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 do you feel? Where do you feel it ranks? Obviously, you've worked in like one of the best restaurants in the world as well. It's hard in in what aspects, you know, and it would be hard of me to judge because you've got the like Japan and places like that that I've followed a lot, but I've never been to Japan. Actually. But in in, in terms and because my personal preference of of what I like, 
I like that being outdoors, our fresco span, not necessarily their food, but just the way they, they go about it. But Stockholm's food scene is it's fantastic. There's a lot of top, top restaurants, like I said, front end, top of the pile. For me, possibly the best restaurant in the world. And it's not the best restaurant because it's the best food. That's not the case. It's about the whole thing, the whole experience. You know, it's expensive and it's there's probably a lot of things that people would say, but you pay those, they pay the money for a reason. And then you've got places like Gastrologic, which is very Nordic, very much, you know, they don't deal with anything that's not Swedish. And and what they do is, is top, top level as well. So that you've got the, you know, the Michelin bracket. Obviously, you've got the likes of Exted, which mm. is somewhere in between. So yeah. that's kind of the level that we're at here at the restaurant, yeah. Adam and Alban, uh, in the sense that, you know, we don't have a star, actually, like Exted do. But I think the level of cooking and things is, 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 is there. And then you have this, like, for example, there's a place called Babette. Gives me like like Marais back home, that type of feeling, you know. And and you you buy a cup like where you it's they serve just wine and pizza and small plates. It's small, it's cozy. I do think what they lack have some great bars, but nightlife, the nightlife's different here. But then being from Liverpool, it's easy to say that nightlife's probably not so good because at home we're spoiled. I think with the nightlife that we have. What, why? Um, why do you think that is? What? 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 The different licensing laws as well. Or? Yeah, the licensing is unbelievable. The licensing is it, to have a restaurant out here. The, what you have to go through is mind-boggling. To be honest, mm. the, the the things that you have to go through and, and to get alcohol licenses and to approve being outdoors, indoors, everything and times is is crazy. So mm. after after three o'clock pretty much and there's very few places open till three o'clock there's very little to do in the city and I don't know whether you know but they have a thing called the system below it, which is like the off license yeah um, but it's run by the government and that's the only place you can buy alcohol outside of somewhere that serves you so if you don't serve it you can't sell it okay, okay. as I remember actually but like when we were there that I'm glad you've said that because we were like usually kind of all over where to go and we struggled post like we had, you know, post 12 o'clock and it was like, and the places that were open weren't, weren't my taste, should you say? But yeah, yeah, I was quite surprised at that, but that's interesting. I would, yeah, I would, but that, that's the case. And I think the places that are open until three o'clock, you know, there's very few of them now. I think now that you're at, you're at your age a little bit older than me aren't you but it's like you just don't it's not where you want to go it's where you want to go when you're 20 years old you know what I mean it's not, it's not where you want to go now it's nice to still be able to sit down and drink a nice cocktail and have a conversation still regardless of where you are and they just don't have it they really don't have it but I think my favourite place to go for a drink is a place called Sugar and I'm pretty sure that you will know of it at least because it's a top top bar well recognised across Europe just a hard name to pronounce but that's a, cocktail wise and stuff it's, it's great but it closes to one o'clock so. yeah I mean I suppose that's quite normal if some places one o'clock is uh, yeah I, I, I think you're right I think I think with people um, in Liverpool though and I say this to quite other people even to the UK it's slightly different you know London you can struggle unless you know where you're going you know you, you, you're 12 till 3 you've got to know you've got to know what you're doing well yeah. even we're quite in the way the licensing is we've got quite there's a lot more bars later licenses which is which is quite unique do you know what I mean whereas people I say you can bar hop till four or five in the morning if you want people can't believe me sometimes it's like yeah just the way it is the, the bar scene of, of that nature is quite unique that is even for the UK I think 
and maybe it's changed a little bit now but yeah it's not really a big thing because everybody's everybody's in the same boat that people just go back to somebody else's place and you need to make sure that you buy your drink before Saturday afternoon because the system log it closes at, I think it's three o'clock on a Saturday and you can't buy a drink on a Sunday so <laughs> that, that might be a good thing but, so you haven't got your wine and you can't have a wine with your Sunday roast yeah. so it's uh, you can't get it from the but, supermarket but you can buy some things in the supermarket which is funny actually because they, you can buy beer in the supermarket but it's got to be 3.3% I think right. but for us that's that's normal like Carl and that's what it is at home isn't it yeah. but for them you know 7% to be a <laughs> right yeah. So mm, that's interesting. Well, one thing we talk about quite a bit on the podcast is sort of like the culture, the food culture in the place and the differences with, especially with like youth development. You know, we talk about like the UK is quite behind in that. And I know let's take Copenhagen, for example, obviously they're very forward thinking. What What's it like in Sweden? I suppose you're going to see it firsthand over the next few years. How does that differ? Just down to the fact that the kids go to, it's called daycare, isn't it? It's not nursery, but like Clementine, for example, she's only 18 months old and she's in the daycare Monday to Friday and she goes like nine to three o'clock or eight till four, depending on, on what days we're working. But just that exposure to all the children, they have breakfast, they have fruit, then they have lunch and the lunch is always included with they have to have this salad and stuff. It was actually funny enough yesterday because she's going through, she eats everything. She eats literally anything. Believe it or not, she likes smoked fish and friggin' olives more than anything else. Yesterday, she's going through this phase where she's being fussy and she's like, doesn't want to eat anything and stuff at home. So I was at the daycare and I said, I just want to ask, is she eating vegetables and you know she is she eating properly and they were like yeah she loves fruits and she's eating well and but she can be a little bit picky at the moment with the vegetables so what they do is they line three vegetables up and they make the kids pick one to eat before they're allowed to have like it's called a maca like a sandwich right. before they have a sandwich they've got to eat a vegetable so I just think the exposure from such a young age from not only us as parents but from other people at the daycare it's 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 that's that's key I think in, in the whole thing and then having fr- friends with children and you, you see how they go about it like sweets and, and all that type of stuff fizzy drinks are frowned upon amongst the whole everybody really very rare I think other than fast food places they see people walking the street with a coke to yeah. be honest and kids tend to be treated on like a Friday it's like it seems a treat to go to the shop and get candy that's how I, I that's how I see uh, like the sweets treating kids eating sugar and stuff like that so yeah I think they are educated in a better way I think they are I, th- I just think they're exposed to food education at an earlier age so what ha- what happens in the winter time when like I said we said before it's absolutely freezing what happens then obviously people hibernate a little bit more but that must be hard with kids as well or do they just get used to that I suppose like yourself Matt because you've got got a couple of kids yourself haven't you it's twins haven't you yeah, twins. So they're three. If they're, if like even here, so like last week was say no, a couple of weeks ago was was like down to like two degrees. Like they they won't they'll struggle in the park because the the you know it's too cold. Yeah. Um, no, but here to be honest with you, it's not the cold because when it's cold, yeah. the, the Swedes have the saying, don't they? There's no bad weather; it's just bad clothes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So. The, and that goes for the kids as well you know the kids just get laid up I can't tell you how many times how many snowsuits about to buy <laughs> she goes that quick it's more the rain as soon as it's wet then, it, then it's a different problem isn't it 
One thing, do you know what? One thing I didn't want to I did want to mention to you is it's the fish over there. It's obviously renowned for it as well, Sweden. Seafood. Yeah. Do you see much of kind of that element of it? Is it places you can go and see that with smoking fish and stuff like that? Or yeah, well, every generally everything comes from from one place in Gothenburg. Right. The fish market's over on the west coast. Funny enough, I'm gonna hopefully not next weekend or weekend after go and visit it's a young girl actually lots of clemming names she does uh, oyster, she's an oyster diver so hopefully going to get out there see her but you can, you know if you go down the west coast I guess it's all all, all the way along there because that's generally where all the food comes from but it's the I think fish is the Nordic region as a whole Yeah, it's not just Sweden in that sense because pretty much a lot of the seafood like langoustines and scallops and that they come generally from from Norway it's I would say for us it would be the same relationship as what we have by home in England yeah. you know it comes from Scotland doesn't it most of it and the, f- the fish quality is, is is top and the amount is not necessarily that big because certain fishes are red listed here so you can't buy them or if you want to buy them they're crazy expensive because there's not so much of them but they have amazing lobster Swedish lobster is unbelievable when that's in season and and the general quality of the fish is is is, is top class like I say cool so I know you touched on a little bit before about going and you saying you were then you're saying you're out foraging a lot what about the produce it's quite well known for foraging I think foraging is like I said before about you know you want that exposure to the nature even though we're slap bang city centre you only have to travel 10-15 minutes and you can find it you know you can you can find so much so much out there it starts now really that's the if the restaurant was open that would be what we'd be doing on our days where we're closed last year we were out picking on a, it was on a Tuesday I think we went and we just go out and pick anything really pine mushrooms ramson all the herbs that grow on the ground wood roof and things like that so it's quite special really because as a restaurant owner you know it's a day that your staff get together brings a very nice morale you know we go out set a fire up cook some uh, hot dogs and, and have a beer while we're out there together picking herbs and then also economy wise you're, you're saving money aren't you you know you, what you pay is 60 kroner for a, a box of uh, a herbs you, you're getting them for free and, and the fact that it's just so easy and so close to the city what are your favourite things to get out there and, and bring well now you'll start to see like morels ramson Soon we'll be able to pick like fresh pine and then it'll go into the small pine cones that can be preserved. And then, like I say, you have loads of different uh, herbs, wood sorrel, sorrel. Uh, we find different flowers. They're, they're, it's known for wild strawberries. Mm-hmm. Strawberries will come growing across the ground and then there'll be blueberries. There's places where you can go. They have these like bucket things that you just literally go into the forest and shuffle along the blueberry bush and you can come away with five or six boxes for yourself really? with, with no time at all really and then if you find the right spots you know gooseberries everything really whatever you can forage I think in in this part of the world it, it grows pretty much which is quite special like you said yeah definitely and is there a lot of it where you in the restaurant now is is there a lot of influence on the menu through that yeah this time of year we will definitely use that to direct the menu for sure if it was my own restaurant I'd probably do that a little bit more mm-hmm. but the restaurant's got like a Japanese Nordic influence mm-hmm. so there's always like a, there's that line you know that line that runs from the top to the bottom of the menu that keeps it all linked and tied together and because you don't have these things all year round 
they're not the type of things that can dictate the menu so they're more of a they come and go if you like and that was kind of the same at France as well France did the exact same thing they built the menu Bjorn used to have the saying of there's, there's a season somewhere in the world which is not necessarily what everybody agrees with that's just the way they run the restaurants but definitely when these things are in season and, and here in Stockholm everybody takes advantage of them but you have such a long period of the year that they're not available you know, it's, it's, it's quite a difficult way of working with. And that's where you have to commend the likes of the place I told about before, Gastrology. They don't go and pick a couple of kilos for now. They go and pick 20, 30 kilos so that they can preserve it and they have these things available all year round. That's how they work. Mm, that, that's, that's interesting. It's obviously very, you know, the seasons are so starkly different, aren't they? I suppose it's... Yeah, the seasons, it, it's crazy, Matt, to be honest. It really is crazy. Like you say, obviously, there's a lot of preserving going on. Yeah. So when these aren't available, let's say stark winter time, you know, what's the way around it? Obviously, yeah, you can preserve, but is there must be where are they getting the produce from? Yeah, well, you've got the, the, you've got produce all year round in terms of, you know, Swedish stuff. Yeah. You can buy things, but it just depends, I guess, on, on like this time of year because of the amount of produce you have now. You can largely base your menu around fresh vegetables, you know, that type of stuff. And then in the in the wintertime, it leans more towards proteins and things like that that are, that are what's available, yeah. you know. And, and, and then obviously in the wintertime, the proteins are accompanied by something that's maybe been preserved or in, yeah. in that sense. Yeah. Um, but the general day-to-day produce, if I'm being brutally honest, for, for, for restaurants is not very good. You know, like you... You have to have a base product. You know, you have to be able to buy, you know, your onions and stuff like that. And and that actual base is then it's not great. Is there no opportunity to grow your own stuff or? Um, yeah, yeah. So there was a restaurant that opened uh, last year called Ira, and they have their own garden. So they grow everything themselves, and you also have uh, Oaxon, which is they have their own garden, I believe. So you can't, you can't have it, but yeah. I guess it's an expensive project. So it, yeah, it depends on where your, where your company will be going, I guess. But for Adam and Alban, they've got this place and then they just opened up a, well, they, it was two years ago now, a place called Mishumashu. It's like a Japanese street food type of collaboration with Nordic. Oh, nice. And it, it's a really cool place, cool bar and everything. So I think with like, it's a big uh, commitment when you start growing things. I think it's, 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 it's harder than a lot of people think, but I think like, it's going to be interesting. I was reading the other day, like by 2030, they're saying like, you know, the shortage that you might have of produce, you know, if you think about it, it's only like nine harvests for to 2030. It's not a lot. So the talk, yeah. You know, you see a lot more and that's why I was asking a lot more kind of, I think you've seen like vertical farms, hydroponics inside, that type of stuff. Well, I actually put on my Instagram a couple of weeks ago. So there's a, there's that same thing. They've got like a shipping container right in the middle of Stockholm. That's who, they, that's who we're working with now. For like herbs and lettuce and all those things. I'm going right here in, in, in a place called Naka, really close to Stockholm. And that's how they deal with it. And it's a really sustainable way of working. They waste no water. They don't waste anything. What the future holds for grown and stuff. The way we consume as human beings is just unbelievable. It's it's hard, isn't it? It's it's hard to see how we can sustain this forever. So I think it's our job as people who work in the industry to to make sure we come up with solutions that are, are better for what we do. Yeah, I think so. I think, like I say to most people, it has to start at home. You could all very well, you know, 
looking to people for it but I do think starting at home is massive and the amount of things that you can actually do or make it, it's incredible and obviously it's yeah. difficult I think it's like it's, it's one of them isn't it it's an equation of like how much time you have but I suppose you have to time and be conscious about it to make change yeah I think that's the thing isn't it it's all about time unfortunately I think one thing that this pandemic taught everybody is that maybe we prioritise our time a little bit wrong hmm. in our normal day to day life yeah we should make more time for certain things you know, speaking of produce, I went I went to a bakery a few 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 months back. A guy's called Sebastian Bodet, and I was there for a few days learning about everything. And I, I learned a lot in the sense that you know I was paying attention and, and listening to the, to the team and stuff. But on the last day, me being, I just took a gift just to say you know thanks for having me, appreciate it. And I'd been gifted Christmas time, so. Took a jar of caviar and being gifted some some foie gras as well. So, mm. and yeah, in my mind, that's that's like produce who we use in the restaurants, and I, you know, we see them on Instagram. People are working with them all the time, stuff like that. So I'm thinking, yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice gift. It's a nice like food pass to take it, and I give it to Sebastian, and he just it stopped me in my tracks. I said no, and in the moment, I can remember being like. Oh. You know, I really didn't know what to do. And I felt a bit offended. And then and then I kind of like he explained the whole like his whole feeling. And actually the amount of respect that I got for him in that moment was were like second to none. And and by the end of the day, I I learned more in that period of time than I did prior to that. And it was all based on his own values. Why why should he preach to everybody about because he, he doesn't use anything that's unsustainable sources is chocolate and ensures that there's no children working on the farm everything sugars bought raw they make you know down to just like I, I've worked in restaurants all my life so I understand that certain things like you know fondant that you use from ice and a cake people buy those things because to make it it's kind of difficult it's not difficult but it's work that, that is, is, a, is a valuable yeah he values everything nothing gets missed and and everything is ecologically sourced. Is very much behind promoting women in the industry. So by the end of the day, I just appreciated this man for what he stood for so much. And I appreciated that he said he didn't try to offend me. He didn't mean to offend me, but he just stood up for what he believes in. And and if I I went away from that day with a very different mindset towards what I'm going to do and how I see what I what I, I will work with in the future. It, it's it's tough one, and I think like. People, there's so many different views now, isn't there? And it's how far you went in. I mean, really, could he, if he had his own restaurant, that'd be very difficult to achieve. You know what I mean? With having that, it's probably achievable, like you say. It's well, he, essentially, Matty does. You know, it's a bakery, but they do breakfast, yeah. lunch. Sometimes he stays open. You know, as a bakery, he's got an alcohol license and he stays open and serves. Some, some, he works just with natural wines. Like I say, he did this thing recently. People could go and drink, drink wine from him. And he, he's selling only natural wine produced by women only. And don't get me wrong; it's a very strong, it's a very strong view. And I'm not saying that everything that he does, that I, you know, he necessarily agree with everything. But I think what what I come away from learning from him is that if you stand for something, then you need to stand for something all the time you need to stick to your guns and, and you need to be on that page all the time it, you can't pick and choose and it can't suit you in one moment and not the next uh, yeah that's, it, that, that's it. Uh, something to take in, into life as well isn't it I think as well as uh, yeah. 
food and that. And I think I don't know. Obviously, I feel both having young daughters as well. It's something you're more conscious about now of how. Not saying it wasn't anyway, but I mean, you know, about them having a fair. They should have a fair, fair go at anything in life. You know what I mean? And I think it's good to see yeah. that. You see that a lot. And there's a, there's a few coffee roasters in, in the UK now. I forget the name. Apologies. But, you know, they're women based and are being pushed. We were just we had one in the other week. And the same with the wine as well. And I think it's definitely good to see moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think it's like the football, isn't it? Probably shouldn't get on that topic because you can talk about it all day. But, <laughs> you know, right now what's going on and, and everything. It's just, it's insane how the greedy people in the world hmm. are, are purely and utterly greedy alone. And that's just, it's crazy. It's, it's sad, isn't it? It's sad, but it's, it's uh, again, it goes back. I mean, you go back, we're talking about consumerism, isn't it? And food and, you know, a lot of it comes from, from greed in the first place of why you've got shortages of things and how the farm, yeah, and how, how sure. you know, and, and this is where you find the situation. But, you know, I think all these things have to come around because, they've got you know they have to get to a critical point don't they where it's like well hang on this isn't right i hope anyway from from the pandemic wherever it is and that that like you said people have thought about as a self-adjustment and then in society as well about where let's talk about food but like you know how where things are sourced you know like it's almost like it's gone full circle where you know it's great to ask the question like you want to know like if someone came and spoke to you you'd be made up about and tell them where this produce is from how yeah i think as a chef if we speak out from a hospitality point of view now restaurants have moved on to you know it's not just about putting a plate down anymore and saying you you know this is this this and this i'm walking away it's so much more and and I, to be honest with you i appreciate the young audience for food now so much because there's such a big interest and as a chef and as someone in the industry it's your job to source the information to give to the customer because it's so much more valuable if you sit there and you know the story of the food rather than just what you like what you eat and some people are not that interested but the people that are not that interested then as as your job as a as a person in the industry it's for you to gauge that and if they're not interested then you just give them the quick presentation and you move away but I think it should be a big part of, of what we do and a big pride to, to search for as much information as you can so those that are interested you can you can really share it with them I think that's that was one of the things I think at Frontend when I talked to you about Frontend being the best in the world that's one thing that they did like perfectly man for man perfectly is this this constant strive for like to be better and to search for information you know they didn't always work with sustainable produce Mm-hmm. But they always had a reason and a story behind what they work with and why they work with it. So that's important, I think. Yeah, definitely. You know, like you said, I think there is a massive interest in the youth thing. I, I think this is why you're seeing things come forward and independent places thrive. And I don't think it is just, it, it seems to be everywhere. Like you say, it's great to hear bakers and stuff like that coming back around. It's almost like, like I say, it's like going full set. People are looking at, you know, where they're sourcing the meat you know it's not just about veganism and i think yeah it's like you know it's hard to explain but you've kind of got that independent high street feel in a sense but it's kind of changed but people are definitely asking yeah. questions and packaging 
where's that from? It's it's great because otherwise you got you're gonna go down a route of consumerism and greed that we have probably have been and gotten ourselves into this situation. I think as well, especially with let's say you're talking about Michelin level food and that I think it's always had a stigma wrongly where it's kind of like not accessible to people where I think that's definitely changed yeah for sure the the non-accessibility of it is uh, it's significantly changed hasn't it I think the Michelin kind of I think they're gonna they've tried to kind of stem away from that a little bit the last few years I think because it from what I speak to a lot of chefs as well the, the kind of dated attitude of it you know it's probably they're probably trying to reinvent themselves as well and you've seen the green, the yeah. green star element to it now which seems massive. If you go back to 10 years ago, the Michelin guy was like, uh, that was the voice of chefs, wasn't it? Mm. Back then, especially the big chefs. Whereas now, like everything in life, social media now is so, so big and so key that do you need the Michelin guide anymore to promote yourself? I don't think you do. And I think the young chefs of the new generation are showing that. I think the young chefs are, that are good at social media and are good at, at, at showing what they do day to day. You know, you see the likes of Tom Brown on the mm. Great British Menus and Judge. You know, it's only a young lad. Yeah. No, I don't know exactly how old he is, but I certainly know he's not. He's not a. He's not a veteran chef, if you like. Mm. But the 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 the, the pace you can move forward now because of the exposure that we can get is second to none really and it's crazy how quick you can go from being just a chef to being a, a, a key chef in, in the industry I suppose that's um, that's only a positive thing but I like to so I think you know Michelin's an old establishment isn't it from thing and it's like anything in life isn't it when you were talking about other things like f- football and but you see they have to reinvent and that, that's like the green star thing I would say not uh, from more more people that are younger are going to look at that than they are with the actual stars. For example, they're going to be like, well, they you know they're more interested in the sustainability aspect, like we just said, and that's yeah, obviously the definitely. the development of it. So you know, we're talking about you being a chef. You've been a chef a long time, and you're in a great role at the minute. Where where do you see yourself staying put there for? for a while or, or and how you, you're learning and, and or do you want to yeah obviously when you get to you know the head the head chef position other things take over don't they it's not like the, the same in terms of learning and stuff and I think I've done that now I can remember doing a Munchies interview in uh, The Merchant mm. not long after we'd set finger up back home and telling them exactly what I wanted to do and I told them I want to go away I want to I want to go away and I want to learn and then, you know, and and in the end, the goal is to come back. Because I, I think people are not guilty of it, but there's been so many good chefs that leave, they don't come back. Because, the you know, the food culture back home, back in the day, maybe wasn't right or whatever. But I will be back in, in Liverpool. That's that's for sure. And I, and I want to bring back everything that I've learned. And, and I really want to come and, and do something that hopefully is quite special for the city that's okay. the goal that's the that's what I would like like to uh, give give back if you like yeah so I obviously ask all guests about the in the weeds moment do you, do you, do you have one that sticks to mind or yeah I've got one over the last last five years actually when, when I worked at, at France like I said to you when I was at France and you used to question yourself terrible because you're at this elite level you're like I don't know I should have been here and this day we had a blackout complete blackout in the dining room or in the whole building should I say and this is where I talk about Phantom being at a different level as well because everyone just stay calm sweet calm calm sticks in my mind who's the restaurant manager just went round 
apologise to everyone, lit candles, and there's a lounge upstairs where we, where we used to have board games, and so we'll take all the board games down, keep the guests entertained while we make a decision. And I can remember being upstairs and cooking, and I'm thinking, what are we going to do? And I was like, why don't we set the, the green egg up? So there's a green egg, you know, the barbecue yeah, okay. on the roof top. Let's set it up and we can we can cook on there. And at first it was like question and blah blah. And Carl was like, Will it work? And I was like, I think so. So I ended up who was a sous chef at the time, had a pair of headphones in downstairs. <laughs> I had my Apple Watch on on a walkie-talkie. And I'm on the roof, funny enough, with Louis, who's the French chef with me here now at the Banabin. So me and Louis doing all the cooking and sending the food downstairs and the guys are plating it up and where we used to have an open fire. So they were able to just put like a metal tray and just keep the pots hot, you know, keep the, the sauce hot and stuff over the ambers. So we're cooking the food. It was like minus five snowing on the roof, sending it down to the lads and the lads were serving it. So that was definitely, that's definitely the, the key one that sticks in my mind. But everyone. That was a good one because, you know, you talk about being in the weeds, we're in the weeds, but the next day, the feeling you got through getting to it was unbelievable. Yeah. I, I bet all the guests loved it. Yeah, well, you talk about, like, I can remember on the night, you know, are we charging for anything or, you know, what do we do? You know, you're a guest in here tonight. You've had a better experience than on the normal night because it's so unusual. Never, probably never happen again. And they've had a probably fantastic even. Uh, maybe the food wasn't 100%, but I reckon it was at least 95. So that's still what matters. Yeah, that's it. So it was an it was an unbelievable night. But I honestly remember the next day. I remember going in with a totally different attitude. And I think, to be honest, Matt, the days of I was working with lads that have probably got fifteen Michelin stars on the CV. They've been all over the world working in the best restaurants. But it just shows you that different experiences and different characters is what's needed in a kitchen. Because on that day, you know, I played kind of a key role, if you like. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have 15 Michelin stars, but what I've got is cooking for 80 people with the fire alarm going up. Yeah. And that's just a, t- a different type of experience that, that helped me on that day. Yeah. And it's only, yeah. Uh, well, let's, this is the, the point of it, you know, these adversity moments and triumphing through them, it kind of gives you a different perspective on things. And so I just find it, what about your in- your influences as a chef? Just really interested to hear who, who's, a, who's a big influence on your career. Ah, well, it would be criminal of me not to mention Paul. And again, when I when I talk, when you talk about Michelin stars, Paul hasn't got any, but the values that he teaches it as a chef to he's such a good leader. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he he the way he treats his staff and especially young people, the his dedication towards young people is just unbelievable. And and how he works with food, you know, Michelin star or not, he can cook, you know, he can really cook. And then throughout the throughout the years, I, I, back in the day, I loved Simon Rogue. It was like the guy that I liked. And, and I actually did a chef competition and, and I had a cooking lesson from Mark Birchall, you know, from mm. Moho. And ever since then, I, I've followed Mark. And I think right now, if I was to pick a restaurant to go and work at in England, that's where I'd want to go. Yeah. I'd really, that's where I'd, I'd want to be. And then I, I thought Nicholas Exted was someone who, when I moved out here, that's where I wanted to go and work. I tried right. to go to Exeter before I went to France. Ah, uh, okay. And then I ended up in France. And, and Bjorn is, uh, again, chef-wise, proven, worked all over the leadership and how to how to run a team, second to none again. So, so yeah, you know, I haven't got so many big inspirational Michelin star chefs because that was never really my thing. 
yeah. but more I'm very, I, I, I like I like the, the team work I think of being in a kitchen I like the I like the sense of being in a team well, have you got anything anything else you want to bring up that we haven't discussed at all no I don't think so I think we've been being over over pretty much everything on me really like I say I think my goal is to be back home and, and I've got a few ideas and I don't think it'll be in the too distant future to mm. be honest but we'll see mate thanks for your time no problem